0: Do you crave meaningful conversations with people of different backgrounds and perspectives? Do you admire certain people from afar, but wish you can get to know them on a deeper level? Thankfully, we live in an incredible age where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond the often manufactured soundbites, small talk, and social media posts we are bombarded with on a daily basis. This is a podcast that seeks to provide you our listeners with refreshing content from a variety of inspiring guests, a place where we can truly hear their stories. I'm Karen Corrin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 25 of Soul Sessions with KK. My next guest is Dr. Shoshana or Shana Friedman. She is the executive director of Shalom Task Force. Shalom Task Force, their mission is to combat and prevent domestic violence and abuse, and it's also to foster healthy and safe relationships. Now, when you think of domestic violence and abuse, you might automatically think that it's physical. But Dr. Friedman speaks to me about how it's not just physical, that there's many, many different forms of abuse, and there are lots of warning signs. So whether you're in a relationship or not, or you're dating or not, this episode is so imperative for you to hear, because it can prevent an unhealthy relationship for you or someone that you might know. This might be one of the most important discussions you will listen to. Shoshana stresses the importance of education and conversation and she encourages all of us to talk about these difficult subjects because we are all ambassadors. Shalom Task Force is a powerful resource in the Jewish community and they're just a phone call away. If you find yourself in a troubling situation or you're just like not sure if there's a red flag or not, Shalom Task Force is here to help you. You can call, text, or WhatsApp their toll-free line at 888-883-2323. They're completely confidential. You can find many resources on their new and improved website at www.shalomtaskforce.org. Before I introduce my guest, Dr. Shoshana Friedman, I have a word for my sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Neon Blue, a trendy and affordable marketplace for all your home goods and fashion for the whole family go to www.neonblue.com. That's N-E-O-N-B-L-E-A-U.com. Subscribe to the email list and save 10% off your first order. Check out at neonblue on Instagram as well. And without further ado, I would love to introduce my guest. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. I'm your host, KK, and I'm here with the fabulous Dr. Shauna Friedman. Dr. Shauna Friedman is the executive director of Shalom Task Force, and she is here to talk about uh, domestic violence, violence, and abuse. So I'm just gonna have her take it away. Thank you, Dr. Shauna Friedman, for being on the show.
1: Thank you, KK, for having me. It's really wonderful we're able to do this together. We've been talking about it for a while. Um, And your reach and your ability to really reach people is so important because so much of our work at Shalom Task Force is about awareness, right? People don't know what's going on and we want to be able to help them get the help they need. So I'm Shauna Friedman. I'm the executive director of Shalom Task Force and I'm a social worker by training. And I worked um, in the front lines of domestic violence in New York City for many years, more than I'm willing to admit. But, um, and I work with Orthodox and Jewish clients who suffer, who are survivors of domestic violence. And two years ago, I took the position over at Shalom Task Force to be the executive director. And I felt really passionate about taking this position because I feel like Shalom Task Force is a voice for Jewish survivors. So, what, what is Shalom Task Force? So Shalom Task Force is a national organization based in New York that is our mission is to combat domestic violence and help people foster healthy, safe relationships. Um, and we do that through three core services. Um, we could talk about that together today um, is our hotline. Um, and I always, um, our hotline, which is a telephone service and recently expanded to a text chat, WhatsApp service. And I'll talk about that. We're very excited about that. Um, we have education programs. So sometimes it just is be on a podcast, right? Just getting out there and talking about it because the more we talk about it, the more we help people, but we go into many schools. I think last year we went to almost 30 Jewish day schools Talk about healthy dating, Um, reaching over 1,800 kids. Um, Last year, our community programs touched 6,500 unique individuals. So out there talking about domestic violence, out there talking about healthy relationships, doing workshops with couples, um, making sure they have the skills to be with each other in a healthy way. And then we have legal services for people who need to figure out what legal remedies exist out there if they need to be safe. So that could be orders of protection, child custody issues, but also going to In, right, and how do you deal with the in system, and our lawyers are trained in, in that. They know how to go to based-in, they know how to work with their bunim, um, so we try to offer all the services to help people stay safe, and that's what we do. Our, our goal is really to help people stay safe. Um, so that's what Sean Task Force is.
0: So I know you've been an incredible resource for so many Jewish women do you also care to non-Jewish women
1: so we will we'll serve anyone who approaches us but the re- reality is and you'll see this throughout the United States and and it's interesting we're funded through the federal government for this is for an underserved community So often when it comes to family issues, people are more comfortable going to an agency that's just familiar with their cultural, we're not a Jewish agency, we're an agency that serves the Jewish community, like understand their cultural needs. So I have colleagues in the Muslim community, in small insular immigrant communities, I work with um, a a group that works in the hard of hearing deaf community, because people have different needs. Though the issues are universal, and I don't wanna say like Jewish domestic violence is different than just domestic violence, and we'll talk about the definition of domestic violence. I and mean, I should have started with that. But, but So we do serve anyone that approaches us and who needs us. Um, we absolutely do. But to be perfectly honest, 98% of the people who approach us I self-identify as Jewish. We don't always know where they fall in the Jewish community. And sometimes it's disclosed, sometimes it, they, they don't. It's not that important. But we want to make sure. Because if you're someone who's a survivor of domestic violence, you need to go to court. It is. Certainly easier to go with an attorney who understands the get issue or certainly understand if you're dealing with Support issues to understand why it's important to have a day school tuition yeshiva tuition considered Where if a lawyer isn't even aware of why that's important, then it's much harder So but certainly they can help. I'm not saying they can't but that's really our our focus is um, Making sure that those who wouldn't go to the other services have a place to come
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so when I hear Domestic violence automatically Mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to my head is physical violence. And I think I'm not alone in that. Because, you know, even when I was spreading information about Sheldon Task Force, and I even refer people to call the hotline, like, I'm not being like, physically abused, like this isn't abuse. I said this has nothing to do with you know physical abuse. There's, it's much more than that. There's a lot of nuance. So can you just explain to the audience Absolutely. what it is? It's mean? so so
1: important to understand that. So I think all of us, right? When we hear the word domestic violence and the literature, will talk about intimate partner violence or spousal abuse. We think about black and blue marks, right? That's what we think about because that's like the obvious one. But if you take a step back, the, we're talking about many forms of abuse that are about power and control in a relationship. And it's about one party in the relationship obtaining and maintaining power control over the other party and people do that in many different ways and i'm going to say the victim is she and i'll use the person that hurts the abuser as he but we see male victims and i want to put that if there are men listening and i hope there are men listening we serve male victims so, um, but, you know, just the, the, the reporting is, is typical. That's just, so, you know, he can use many forms of abuse and I kind of think of that as the toolkit of the abuser, right? So there's the physical violence, right? But we really, the West, West, best way of visualizing is like this circle and it's called a power control wheel where power control is the central dynamic and the other, be, these behaviors empower that, right? So it can be verbal, emotional abuse using language, isolation, Big, big red flag, right? Keeping her away from resources, sexual violence. And, and that's also often misunderstood because there's an assumption within marriage, and we're talking about a community that marries, right? That there's an assumption um, that there can't be marital rape or sexual um, abuse, and there can be, and there often is. We're talking about financial abuse, and we're not talking about budgets, right? Budgets are not financial abuse. We're talking about having no access to funds or stopping her from having a job or making ruining her credit without her knowing right? Really financial abuse. Um, you know, we've had clients who can't get feminine hygiene products. Like that's not on the family budget. Right. Or I worked with a client who was married to someone who, who, you know, was a triple board certified physician, there was no financial issue in the home, but she was coming to a food pantry because he had no, he had no access to money for, for food. Right. So how does that control her? Right. So there's, and you talk about spiritual abuse which is really interesting in our community right is using spirituality and using her relationship and in our community we talk about hashem but her relationship with her identity and her relationship with religion as a way to control her so you know you can think of different ways examples i've seen is um you know there is the the sexual coercion or or force during the nida time when you know it unacceptable by by halacha, by Jewish law, to have sexual relations. but there, So that's very extreme. So it's both sexual and spiritual. But there are things like not letting her have money for food for Shabbat and her sense of being able to prepare for Shabbos and her sense of identity as a Jewish woman, right? Not allowing her to have relationships with her parents and her feeling that she cannot be mechabed. She cannot honor her parents, right? It ruins her relationship. And there's a lot of these examples. And the get issue, certainly, right? The idea of withholding a get is the ultimate form of spiritual abuse, where they can remain spiritually married. He has that control of her, does not give her the ability to even date in the community because of his power and control. And we've seen many cases, unfortunately, where there's a civil divorce. They're not married in the eyes of our country, but he has control. So we're talking about, I talked about financial, emotional, verbal, spiritual. um, Now we have cyber abuse, digital abuse, right? Yeah. And this is like one of those ones that are really interesting. Those of us have kids and my kids are young, I'll admit, but those of us who have kids or teenagers with, with, um, phones, we love the idea of being able to locate people. Right. But if you're being controlled by your abuser, he could see where you're going. So if they're coming to see a therapist, they'll know when they're going to the therapist, they'll know where they're going or all that technology we have in our homes. Um, I recently heard a speech by a a survivor. who talked about how her, her, um, Abuser used all this technology to record everything, so she had no privacy. He would keep noise on when he was away on business trips in the house, so she couldn't sleep, and there was sleep deprivation. So, using technology, getting into your texts, you know. So, there's a lot of cyber abuse. Um, so, there are a lot of examples of different types of abuse: using children, using community. Um, so, we have to move away from being physical physical abuse being the only definition. Physical abuse exists, and Certainly, that's the high fatality risk, right? So if we're talking about a safety assessment. And I don't know if this is getting too graphic. We're talking about really fear for people's life. You know, we really do review issues around, like, physical abuse because that's what leads to, unfortunately, you know, severe harm, injury, God forbid, death. But when we're talking about the dynamic of living in an abusive relationship, there's typically many forms of abuse going on. Um, I'm sure I forgot a few on my, my own wheel, but you know, <laughs> check out our website; it has all that information. It's on, you on
0: your know, website. Uh, Got it. i want to look at it.
1: When you look under what is abuse, we really need to, as a community, move away from that because then we could validate people's experience. I recently ran a supportive support group. I called it supportive conversation, an online one during COVID for eight weeks for women who identified as um, being in either ex- they they left an abusive relationship or they're alone in COVID in an abusive relationship. And I said, the question of the week was, what do you wish other people understood about domestic violence? And the answer from all the women was like, that it's not only physical. That is what people want. They want people to understand. The women, the survivors themselves, when we call them survivors, even if they're still in a relationship, the survivors themselves want people to know that I don't have to be black and blue to be in a relationship in which I'm controlled and I have no sense of identity. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's really important, and so that also plays into, like, how do you, like, what are the red flags then, right? Yeah, how does, one, right? Know right. That's how does an... one know? And, you know, sometimes you don't, and I'm sorry to say that, sometimes you don't, so we put out there, like, if something feels wrong, then let's Deal with it early in the relationship. I love your cup. That's fabulous. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I I, need my tea. So, like, the question is so there are times that people don't know. Though, when you speak to the survivors when they're coming out of it or they're in treatment to think about it, they'll look back. They'll say, Well, we were dating. You know, he only bought presents that he wanted. He never thought about my concerns. I didn't make any of the decisions around the wedding. I had no voice. Now, certainly all of us in our relationships, we all. I don't want to call it power imbalance, but like we all like, I'm much more involved in my children's education. My husband does much more of this. Like, the, you know, we kind of split things, but do I have a voice? And that's often the question I ask. Like if you were to say, I don't like how that's happening. I would, you know, you say it in a nice way, obviously, you know, but even if you say it in that nice way, are you afraid to even say it? And that's the question we ask, like, do you have a voice? And, and to learn to trust yourself, right? Like, like if something feels off, I'm not saying call anything off, but look into it. Talk to a mental health professional call our hotline, like don't ignore things. Um, because when you talk to the victims, they'll say, the survivors, they'll say, yeah, um, he didn't, all my friends weren't, all my friends weren't good enough, my family wasn't good enough, and you know, I was really isolated, and what happens with isolation, which is a really big red flag, is that when you're ready to get help, you have no one to talk to. Mm-hmm. And unless your family is really extraordinary, they may, really be hurt that you haven't been in touch with them, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's this really sad cycle where if you don't call your sister ever and your your friends aren't good enough, when you're ready to say something doesn't feel well, they they don't, you know, people people are natural. You know, they, they want to have reciprocity. So when people call me saying I'm really concerned about my sister and she's not calling me, I'll say, you know, this is the time where you have to kind of rise beyond like the relationship like you have to always put your hand out and you have to get get from other relationships because she may not be able to connect you right now but when she's able to you need to be the lifeline um and it's really it's really hard um but the isolation is a huge i would say huge part of the
0: possessiveness possessiveness um, isolation possessiveness, jealousy Jealousy now, in what way? Jealousy. You're looking of- at that other guy,
1: and you're not. You're not looking at that other guy, but like you're, you're, you know, this constant jealousy, accusatory, and that, those things people do see in dating and in their courtship and their and their engagement. Now, in our communities, there's a whole range of how people date, right, and a whole range of how people get engaged. So, you know, it may be that they only meet a few times, and they might not have opportunity. And then I'd say early in the marriage, if something feels off, I would say that for everybody. Call, call us, call your. Someone that you trust, um, I, we use this language as bump it up. If you tell someone you think they're not getting it, find the next person that might get it, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, we try to, we do a lot of training with Kahlok teachers, um, mm-hmm. you know, tell them to be like that lifeline to people. But if some college teacher can't, like some people just, that's they're really good at halacha. <laughs> like that's what they're good at. But if you're going to your college teacher and they don't seem to get it, so go to someone else's college teacher, go, you know, you know obviously I'm a, I'm a social worker, I would say go to a yeah. mental health professional, but Go where you you feel heard. Um, in, an, in an engagement, if or you're dating someone and you get that uh-oh feeling, just don't ignore it, like trust yourself. It does not mean stop the relationship. I'm not telling people, but, but investigate, explore. You know, mm-hmm. is it normal nervousness or is something really not feeling right? And then, and get the support to make that decision. Um, you know, we recently did a dating workshop. Um, it's on our website and we thought it was really successful because the next day we got 14 or 15 calls to our hotline um, saying i'm in a relationship right now i just want to talk to you about it we didn't tell anybody to break up not our stance at all good let's talk about it what do you feel what's going on what what triggered you in that workshop that made you feel like you need to call Mm -hmm. and let's talk about it. where can you go for more support you know and, and really opening it up um and then you know, in a relationship, when you are married, and there's something that doesn't feel right, again, like, find support. Um, I think one thing that COVID has done for us, a lot of things, I think that have been very challenging, but one of the things is that, like, I think we all know it's okay not to be okay all the time. <laughs> like, it's hard. It's really hard. And that yeah. we to support each other. And, you know, if we're going to take away some of the lessons of the last six months, or five and a half months, however long we've been inside, you know, is that, like, we need to find the right support for ourselves. And, you know, that's, you know, yeah. I just talked a lot, but there, that's- No, there's, I, I've, there's so
0: much that i like, stuff. I didn't even know where to begin, but can we just go back to the yes. warning signs? Because I think that this is important to cover for whoever's listening. You said isolation, possessiveness, jealousy. Are there any other warning signs that people should look out for that they can call your hotline or message you? I mean,
1: you'd be amazed how many people, even from our community, where there was physical and sexual assaults during engagement. And there's so much shame around that. There's such deep shame that they, they hold so much responsibility around that, that they don't call. And to know that whatever you do, it is not your fault.
0: Is it because, is it shame because they're scared? They don't want people to know they were physical? Like,
1: a lot of times Is there like,
0: oh, I, allow, right, if I allowed
1: myself to be Scho- not Shomer to X, right? And you can't see my hand. X. And you know, he pushed it without my and I feel bad that we went to Y and Z. I can't admit it because I allowed X, right? Mm-hmm. Or there's something about me, or even if I didn't allow it, and he pushed anyway, there's something about me that allowed it, or now I'm kind of damaged. I'm not supposed to have engaged in that. And it becomes a cycle of such deep shame right that we're afraid to say hey this happened to me um and i need help and so many people i've worked with there are there are i mean there are the subtle signs of jealousy possessiveness isolation you know talking down to people not letting her have a voice no decision making right you're making wedding plans do you both get to make decisions those are if you do have an argument you do argue with your spouse and that's normal right how do you argue with so those are those signs But we've seen like clear blatant signs, and they will say in retrospect, like there was, but I didn't know who to tell. I was embarrassed to tell. I was afraid if I I pursued it, I would never get married, right? And then I'll never have children. So, better to get married, have a child or two, and I'll deal with it, which is not better. I feel comfortable doing that. It's not better. Um, (laughs) No, it's really complicated. Um, Certainly, if you're in the relationship, you have a child, the child's a blessing, and you can move, you know, but it, it, you know, to make things
0: harder. Yeah. It
1: makes things very complicated. Um, So we'd certainly see um, those bat in the relationship. And again, I know it sounds very kind of ambiguous, but like, trust yourself. Like, if something feels off, I'm not saying call anything off, but I'm saying be curious of why it feels off. Is it because I have anxiety about commitment? Okay. Be curious about it. Figure that out. Is it because he reminds me of my father who I have a bad relationship with? Okay. Be curious. Resolve it. Is it because he really is very controlling and disrespectful to me. Okay, let's figure out what the resolution should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you're allowed to be, you know, I, I, I think about that often, like, why is it not sitting right? Um, and it does not mean engagement has to feel like um, fairy tale like it doesn't, and it isn't, and if people are real about it, it's not. But, um, you know, is there dread? Is there, you know, true discomfort?
0: What do you think of people when they're experiencing these things that instead of going to a qualified professional, they go to, let's say their mom or um, someone who is biased, like someone who like wants the relationship to happen, who thinks it's like perfect, or they go to the rabbi or the rabbi's wife.
1: Right, I mean, listen, I don't wanna, I don't, I think everybody, what's the best? Uh, I think it's hard to get good guidance from someone who's very, I mean, we talk about like, who's really in it with you. It doesn't mean they can't be part of your support system. And certainly we can have another conversation or, about like, how do you be a support system? And I don't know that we'll go there today, but like, you know, but it is, you you want to go with someone who can give you perspective, right? You want, you want to to be able to share your, your experience with someone. Um, Mm -hmm. um, And, people have a hard time seeing. Now, I think it is so scary to talk about domestic violence. It's still one of those things that really um, is so scary. I spoke to someone very recently, you know, um, who's within my world, um, and she was sharing that a family member was going through this, and I I stopped the conversation. I want to say, you're not the only one that has called me. Like, like, it's, you know, it's everywhere. It's not Mm -hmm. only, and in that community or that community and you fill it in because i don't want to do that but like that's the standard it'll be like oh it's in that very community no it's in your community it is and once you start seeing it you see it everywhere um yeah. and you'll remember these stories of the child going, like, oh that's what really happened in that family like it exists and not to stigmatize it you know that we right. all so so we go back to like who should you go to who's the qualified person listen i'm here as a licensed mental health professional do I do everything perfectly? No. Do my colleagues do anything, everything perfectly? No. But we do have the training and perspective to help people think things through, hopefully with an objective perspective um, and and a trauma informed lens. Like we hope that that's what might might. Are there incredible rabbitsons rabbis, parents, sisters that can do that? Yeah, there are some really good people out there. You just want to make sure you're going to people who get it. Right, and that's where the bump it up. I was just said before. Like, if they're not getting it, move on. Like, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. not, I mean, they can't be really supportive about other things. But if they're not getting you, you know, right. Our our Jewish community has resources. We have. Yes. We're here for you.
0: Yes, I have a question. <laughs> yes, is there a certain type of person that attracts this type of abuse? You know, you hear it all the time, like. Oh, because they're codependent, quote-unquote, they attract another codependent. Right. I, I always, I you know, know, I think there are experts who will talk about, like, the, the
1: makeup of the survivor and the makeup of the abuser, and I try to refrain from that conversation because it feels very fatalistic to me, right? Like, mm-hmm. i often hear people say, well, he grew up in a home like that, so of course he did that. No. Like, we all have, either we call it free will, we all have... Self-determination in our Jewish world, we talk about Bechira, however you, you know, your are perceptive of it, like you you conceptualize it. So are there certain people, you know, we'll use this language of, you know, repeat or repair. A lot of times people either repeat a relationship they saw or they have to do some repairing or healing, right, to be in other relationships. Certainly that's true, but it is not in like perfect correlation. So my message to people around that is if you saw it in your house, it does not mean you're 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 destined for it either as a being the abuser or being the victim right like you are if you had it happen to you once does not mean your next relationship have to do that but let's get you some repair right mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. got you it know? so if you're a young man and I mean I hate to be like gender specific but if you're a young man and you saw behaviors in your house that make you like feel like oh my dad or my mom behaved that certain way and I don't want to fall into that. So so get support about making sure that you, you have accountability about that, that you feel that you don't don't want you, you don't behave in that way. And if you're a young woman and you saw that behavior and you don't want to either be the abuser or, or the victim, so get support before you're in a relationship. You know, it's, if you're in college, I think college is a great time, like, and it's usually really inexpensive. If you're in college, they have counseling centers. Like I always, I, I, I've taught a lot of graduate interns and I'll say to them, not as a requirement, hey, you could probably get free sessions right now go talk to someone for a semester, right? Like you're it's normal yeah. for young young adults to get some support. Like work through that issue so that you don't have to do the repeat repair. So that's my evasive way of saying there is certainly self-determination and there's always hope. There's always hope.
0: Always hope. Um, yes, I love hope. that. I, I but I think this comes when someone has that self awareness. Mm-hmm. If someone grows up in a household and yes they see all these things, but they don't really Think much of it, right. and then you know they graduate high school, they go to college, married. and then there's that pressure to get married. Oh, you have to get married, just get married. They get married, they quote unquote fall in love, and la di da, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh oh, like what is this? This is not the fairy tale I envisioned. So, what do you advise to young singles before they're dating, while they're dating, to you know date? productively and date with like that self-awareness
1: so having me here today is part of that right we're giving yeah. words to things and it really is and we go into schools because we want and we'll get we want people we want young people young adults and youth to have language for it so we, we get like you know the feedback on it will say like i never thought about my parents divorce in this way this is what happened you know like and, right right and we'll like also have putting to a word to on it, it give words to it. You know, Dr. Pulkwitz always says name the monster is basically how we conquer the monster. Let's mm-hmm. name it, right? So that's really important. If you're dating, you know dating in our community is very serious it it can be very serious so so or, not. It, or not or not but there's a lot of pressure even if you're not yeah. serious right and yeah. you know so if you're someone who could have I mean every community calls it something different but a mentor someone who can help you think things through um but education is really a big part of it and then when you're engaged or in a relationship I and mean, we offer one one type of course it's not a domestic violence course it isn't but it, it is a couple's um, communication course and I'll tell Shalem you Shalom
0: Workshop? One Workshop yeah. I took that like three times okay. Really? Okay. And, well, yeah, I, I loved it I took it once when I was engaged okay. and then I brought it to my community actually two times right. I loved it Do it again an
1: instructor and yeah. it's really it's you know but what happens with Shalom Workshop which teaches like communication skills conflict resolution skills is that sometimes couples will be there and our trainer will be like something feels off mm-hmm. and the trainer will pull one of them aside and say listen maybe you Maybe you want to explore something, not not judging, and, and we'll help them get the other, you know, support. And it doesn't mean people should get breaking up or divorce. We don't tell people what to do, but people need to see what's going on. People really, you know, we want to help people see what's going on and be empowered to make choices. Um, you know, I've certainly worked with survivors who have remained in the relationship for my longest standing one was probably 14 years I worked with her. Wow. But, you know, that was her choice, so our work, and I mean, we're talking almost weekly therapy, was about how does she stay safe in there, and how does she feel empowered, as empowered as she can in a safe way. If that means, you know, making the tea, she, likes sounds simple to you and I, but not being forced into things like that, that's how she was able to express herself, and then eventually she was able to leave the marriage in a fairly peaceful way, the kids have left, whatever that situation was, but that's how she decided to do it. you know, people make lots of different choices and that's really, and we support anyone's choices, but we want them to be safe and to realize their choices,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: There are, there are choices. Um, yes, well, be self-aware. We, we, we should, as a community anyway, not domestic, help people, you know, in that age range, you know, take some introspection, you know, the end goal is not the wedding. The end goal is healthy marriages. Healthy right.
0: marriages is the end goal, not the wedding. Right? right? The wedding is so just- I sell my callers all the time. Good for you. Right. Like, All the focus is on the wedding, and I'm saying that's not the goal. That's just the it's beginning. Just it's, it's really a celebration. Right, and it's
1: beautiful. You should enjoy it, and you yes. should feel like a princess and beautiful. But the the real goal is when you can look back and say, "Wow, that was just the beginning, and things are are good.
0: Things exactly. are good.
1: We, we know how to fight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and we and we know how to get along, and we can laugh together, and we can get through those hard times. Um, so.
0: So no. one thing I notice with people, um, you know, I hear quite often through different circles, like, I never fight with my husband. Like, I never fought. Like, oh, like, we're fine. Right. So what do you say about that, the no-conflict type of marriages? So- Is that do problematic? Do you think that's even true? Like, can that possibly be true? <laughs> I, I mean, know- I do know of someone- really? who, Yes, I know someone who um, had to break off a relationship. And she said they never, ever fought. So, so when they broke the relationship, everyone was surprised. Right. Like, they didn't see anything. I don't know
1: that I have a comment about that. Like, I mean, okay. I mean, like, I don't know that that's the goal either. Like, a no-conflict relationship. I mean, there would be probably theorists out there and therapists say, well, that, there's not a lot of energy there. I wonder what that's like to have... Like, none of that. There, t- some level of tension is not particularly bad. <laughs> bad you know there's like right. a same way some level of anxiety like some level of being curious about each other's differences like that's how like Gottman would talk about it right like to right. kind of curious about each other's differences there's no research to say that people who are different have worse marriages sometimes they have better marriages so I don't know if There isn't no the way problem.
0: you fight it's the way you fight there it's are the there will fight. be arguments
1: right the way you fight the way you can respect each other hold each other in those tar- those really hard times that's what to- determines a marriage it's not um you know but i what really what resonated when you said that to me was like how and this is not a jewish or orthodox issue is how sacred marriage is and i think about this often mm-hmm. and how there's such like there is this incredible like tr- like opaqueness around it i don't know if that makes sense but like opaqueness it's like there's no transparency right like it, this is not i mean i think our community probably has it a little bit more just because of our our sensitivity yeah. to what we consider tznius or tzniot or modest, however you think about it. But I think that there's such sanctity and like kind of like value to the idea of merit that sometimes there's there's no transparency of like really what it's like. And people don't tell each other. No. Like how many times do you actually tell your friends I really, get, I really followed my husband this weekend. I'm sick of him. <laughs> you know, like, nobody says that, but how many of us have experienced that? Like, right. you know, I mean. There I was, are
0: people that do, that yeah, are very comfortable.
1: Right, but we don't really talk that way. And maybe we shouldn't. I'm not saying we should. But, like, I don't think people are real in general about um, the, the challenge of being married, the beauty of being married, but that, that there's challenges. And we don't know what it's like. I mean, it's different mm-hmm. for all of us, right? Um, it's very different for all of us, but I think when someone says there's no conflict, I kind of wonder like, well, yeah. okay, I don't know what that means, maybe you're just both kind of-
0: Like, we never oh, ever fight, I'm like, okay. okay. I-, I
1: think they have one friend that said it to me, but I was kind of like, they almost fight about not fighting. I'm like, just have a fight already. like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's right. not like, come on,
1: You know, not like, but uh, listen to this. But um, she'll laugh. But I mean, I, I don't think that that is the ideal. But I think, but I do think that part of like the challenge around domestic violence and getting help, or when there's other problems, like other real problems, is that we don't talk about things. My 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 doctoral um research, which is not the conversation for tonight, was around people's college class experience and their first experience of intimacy in their marriage. Right. So how to traditional Orthodox women experience learning really their sexual education and their first experience being sexually active and that transition. And one of the themes I discovered is that people don't know what to expect. Okay. And, but at the same time, they don't go for help for a very long time because they mm-hmm. are so fearful. And we're not about domestic violence. We're talking about, you know, sexual discomfort and pain. They're so fearful to even say it to anyone, right? Like they didn't, you know, and if we would just say, and I think I'm sure you as a college teacher does say that in many of the more, equipped college call, teachers say, like, for some people, it's, it's, it's painful beyond like, you know, normal adjustment. And we, and these are the different things that could be, and you need to address it, like you deserve to address this, you know, yeah. right? Like, yeah, of and, course. and I think those kind of, when we don't just say it out loud, it's giving permission to have the whole range of experience, then how can people come forward? They think that they're just, you know, so if this is happening in my marriage, and a fight feels worse than it needs to be, you know, um, where would I go just to say it out loud? And that's what happens at Shalom Task Force. I've had the privilege over COVID because of staffing and volunteer issues. You know, it's been, we've had to pivot. I take all the hotline calls. um, You take them? I don't always, you won't get me if you call, but, and we don't tell people who really answers, but I could tell you that as executive director, sometimes I cover and I, you know, I'm comfortable saying that. And um, people know I work there. And and a lot of times the, the very courageous people that call we'll say this is the first time um i'm i'm able to share this out loud i don't want to go anywhere with it but this is what happened and that's the whole phone call
0: mm-hmm. you know wow. but
1: just saying it out loud gives it you know power you get to share it um
0: yes is it anonymous are, so absolutely people- anonymous,
1: no caller id there's no way of me knowing who you are unless people
0: you don't have to, have to say them. their name they do not have their name we do
1: ask people to give us a name so when we so they call back we could look back to so how to tell their story but we have a lot of sarahs because everybody just picks a jewish name mm-hmm. like we really know absolutely nothing um about you unless you you choose to share something so it's completely uh-huh. um and uh you know the advocates that answer are we'll never tell anybody that they're on the call so you'll never know who it is i feel comfortable sharing i am because i'm an employee and you can see me on the website but i'm also a licensed professional so obviously um, absolutely confidential but we um We, yeah, and people, it's really a lot of times people just calling them for the first time in their lives saying, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. I don't know where to go. And we're like, well, we're here for you. Just what's going on? What made you call today? Right? And
0: are they able to call multiple times? Many times as they want. So it's like a therapy session
1: in a way? Not therapy. It's not not therapy. therapy. It's not. It's supportive listening. It's often safety planning. It's referrals to therapy. But it's really much more on validation supportive listening and direction mm-hmm. you know like this is where you can go this is one way of thinking about it this is a book to read um but we're certainly not there as mental health professionals though some of us may be um and you call as often as you want um you may get someone else answering because people are on different shifts um and if you did share a name they can find your record but you don't have to tell them you called before or you might not be able to find it in that moment and that's okay you can just share what you want to share that day so um mm-hmm. so I, I mentioned before with covid um, so, unfortunately, there's been a real increase of incidences, and we can imagine why, because people are trapped at home, and that's yeah. not an excuse for it, but people who are already kind of in the abusive continuum seem to have, have increased. And so, we opened in the last few weeks a text chat WhatsApp line. Yeah. And that's fully answered by staff at this point, point. Um, and it's been interesting because it's been a way for people who, who, for whatever reason, can't say it out loud. Either they really don't want to talk about it at home, they're afraid of someone hearing, or they're just not ready to say it. There's something about that to, to text and um, what's going on, and they're in, in touch with people um, and they're getting support that way. And it's also just a way of getting information. Um, and I'd say 40% of our calls and are from family members and friends. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so if you're concerned about someone, we're a place for you to call and say, "I'm concerned about my sister. What do I do? Concerned yeah. about my cousin? Um, you know, whatever." Um, and yeah. we help someone that. So we also try to, you know, one of our taglines is really to build supportive community, mm-hmm. right? How do we build right. community? We, we we help people think about how to be supportive,
0: um, right. you know, so. so from your callers, how often do you get male callers reporting uh, their abuse from their wives? Do you um, see it? Do you see it? I and mean, we know we speak a lot about men being yes, abusive towards women. Yeah, do um, I think? What last about the other way I, around. I think it's been, I think of our
1: callers, it was 8% of our calls last year. I don't know if that's perfect, but it's around 8%. That, but I don't want to say that that's everyone. Like, domestic violence is underreported. Domestic violence um, of men is even more underreported. We can think about why. First of all, people assume, you know, like, it's, it's emasculating, right? It's, and I hate to use gender word like that, but, like, it is emasculating. Um, people don't believe them. How is it possible? And you'll hear from people and, and this isn't from when I was doing more direct treatment, I was treating and was, I was treating as a therapist of a male victim and he's like and he was a big guy, you know, and he's like, I like I'm like, You're really scared. He was really scared of her. He goes, I don't want to ever hit back. Like, I don't want to be that person. Wow. Right? And um and so how did how did he decide to move on, you know, and how to how does he stay safe when he doesn't want to do that? Um and, and will people believe him, right? Will people believe him?
0: I also uh, think that women who do that kind of feel like they have the right to do it because they're women
1: maybe that's interesting interesting. i did not thought about
0: that way. no because like oh like you know there's this double standard because i'm allowed to do or whatever i want because i'm it's like this whole like feminist thing that might i don't know you know, I think it's
1: always interesting because the minute we hear a male hurting a woman, we call her him an abuser. Yeah. We hear of a woman hurting a male, we say, oh, she must be mentally ill. That's yeah. the typical thing, right? Like there's an excuse for her behavior, but his behavior is inexcusable. Both behaviors are inexcusable. Got it.
0: Yes, right? exactly.
1: It's inexcusable. And if you happen to have a mental illness, right, either male or female, treat your mental illness. Get the support you need about your mental illness. Do not be abusive. And if you happen to have a mental illness and you're being abused, that's not a reason he's, he or she's allowed to abuse you. And I've seen that also when I've worked with patients who've had severely and persistently mental illness, they had their own diagnoses prior to the marriage. And as if that's the reason they deserve to be abused. No, I don't care Mm -hmm. how mentally ill you are. You deserve, you deserve treatment for your mental illness and you deserve not to be abused. Um, and, and there's no excuse. There's, there's, there is no reason. I, COVID is not an excuse. Substance is not an excuse. Unemployment is not an excuse. Now, they're all risk factors. So that's, you know, yeah. but none of that is an excuse for someone hurting someone else. And we would say that to our kids. Like, you know, we have young kids. Like, it doesn't matter what someone does. We don't exactly. Hit, right? Exactly, right. We don't, we don't hurt. We get support someone else to come in. And and that's, you know, something
0: we, we have to hold everybody to that. Um so. have you ever seen a situation where the i mean maybe many situations that the abuse actually got worked out um or does it always end up in a divorce or separation not always end up in
1: divorce i would say many times it does not end up in divorce even um, with
0: like physical abuse you know with of abuse. No way of
1: knowing. i mean like i'm like on a real like prevalence study kind of idea. We had no idea really what exists out there. Listen, I have a very skewed vision and I'm very aware of that. Like people who have come to me, I'm often therapist of last resort. They've already gone to Sean Bias therapist. They've gone to good couples counselor and then they're coming to me. So my view is I see a lot of people who have already separated and divorced. That is not what exists out there. People live in lots of different situations and they're, excuse me, they're like entitled to live in any situation they want and be as safe as it can be and get support. Can it be worked out? I firmly believe as a therapist and as a Jew, if I could say that, is that people can make changes in their lives. Do I think that it's safe to do that when you're in the relationship and there's active DV? Probably not. Like, like, I think you need to go to a real, I think that the person who abuses, and we try to move away from the abuser, the person that hurt, the person that abuses needs very skilled treatment, which is not something I, I'm equipped to do. I don't work with the, the perpetrator you need to get good treatment you need to have accountability there needs to be support the primary like the the initial work has to be around safety and then the rest of it so from from like just like kind of a literature perspective and hearing academic work around it it's often very much like let's first stabilize the family let's get them separate Mm. they're independent work Independent. She does healing as she's the victim. He does whatever work he needs to do, which may include some healing, you know. Right. Whatever, right. Whatever. You know. And then maybe there's a test run. Maybe there's real accountability. So I will never say it's never possible. I would say that it's highly unlikely that in a very abusive family, you know, with high level conflict, remain together and they somehow work it out. And there's there's like. They could still stay together. I'm not saying they don't stay together. I'm saying like, would it really transition to a home of like healthy, safe? I, I, I find that hard to believe. But can people make it happen? Yes, they can. Yeah, they can make it happen. But I hope I'm not going to be heard out there saying yes. It takes a tremendous amount of work, dedication, commitment, and accountability. Accountability. And that's one, accountability is a very big word because if our primary goal is for safety, we want to make sure they're accountable to keep each other, to keep the other person safe, right? So it's mm-hmm. not, never come back to, oh, she triggered me. No, you're always you're always responsible to be safe in your behavior. So, you know, the, the few programs that work out there, there's a program out of NYU, Restorative Justice Program. There's a few programs that do the work. Their primary goal is always around accountability. Like who in that world, but I am not an expert on that. And I'm very, I know my lane. Like I, I you know, and if people right. want to do that, I'll refer out, but um, often, Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of work, work. right? People could do that, (laughs) right? Um, so I want to ask you do you have a message for our listeners on how they can prevent something like this from happening? Um, I know you were talking about the warning signs, right? But do those warning signs also exist in dating? What's, what's your message for people out there? What can let's they just, do? Let's
1: just talk about it. That's my message. Let's just talk about it. Let's let, let it be a conversation. Um, you know, though that it is so important to name what's going on. And I, I think I said it before, like education yeah. is really education and prevention. Is, I would love that's all. I, I would love if that was the only thing we had to do a Sheldon task force.
0: Education and I prevention. I, I, I wish of. our hotline
1: was not necessary. I wish our legal services, I wish our only places go out there and teach people how to have healthy relationships and we wouldn't need it any longer. And and I believe that everyone is capable of being in a healthy relationship if they do they're able to take care of themselves and do the work. Um but they have to do that work, right? You know, we don't want people being abusive. But um I think that it, I think if we would all focus on education, I think if we would teach our children about domestic violence, about abuse, about power and control, like like have the conversations with them. Um, you know, and those are hard conversations to have, but if, you're, if your young daughter is starting to date, to talk to her about it, to talk about it in high school. Um, we, we do a high school workshop and we send out a letter to parents letting them know mm-hmm. what we talked about. And so rarely do parents reach out to us. We, we say, we'll do a parent workshop for you at the same
0: time. It, it rarely happens,
1: right? Um,
0: you know what I'm something I'm noticing, actually. I tend to, I see that most of these workshops and classes not not specific to shalom task force but in general i feel like a lot of it is geared to women only I know. you know i noticed the women flocking to the dating classes and running to the shurim about how to build healthy relationships like women in general like i hate the stereotype but i i find that they're more into this and like yes. they want to work on it so how does something like this work? How do you build a healthy marriage and relationship when the guy is like, you know, so we in another dimension?
1: you got to get your male colleagues, your Khatan teachers involved. But we have a male social run staff, Yashaya Kraus, and the same yeah. dating workshop for the women. We, right away, we, we advertise together a dating workshop for men. Like, we go into boys' schools, as many that will take us. We have a dating workshop for, for boys and for the base measures programs. You know, because first of all, you know, we talked about before, they could also be the victims, right? And we all have to have the language, we all have to have the framework to say, you know, we want healthy relationships. We want a relationship that has um, equality, you know, and I'm not talking about what you're talking about. We want one without power and control dynamic that's unbalanced, and you know, mm-hmm. we want to be relationships like that. And we'll do it from a different hashkafa. Like we have, you know, some some you know will come from a yeshiva hashkafa for communities that will will bring will bring text from you know real real religious texts to talk about why is this an important value as Torah people, you know, and some people don't need that kind of background and that's fine but how do we all embrace it and so we need men we need you know they talk about this like male ally world we need men to say this is also important yeah. to me I, and i often think it's you know you talked about you talked to men you're like you don't want your daughter to be in this right that's like where the, the heartstrings are yeah yeah but, you, know, you don't want your daughter, but you don't want your son either you don't want your son to be hurt you don't want your son to hurt others you don't um and nobody does nobody wants that nobody wants that so how do we give you tools how do right. tools? Invite us into your base, medrash. Invite us into your school. You know, um, let us do a dating workshop when you know young men are starting to date after many years of learning. And you know, matters in the community—they have very little experience working, like talking to women. Mm-hmm. Maybe they really don't, right? And like, how do we help them think about it? Like, how do you?
0: Yeah, but then vice versa on like the other communities who are less mm-hmm. religious. Maybe they do talk to the opposite gender, but and, and they and don't
1: learn. It's, it's not the same, and I'm not saying it's more in on one. And they don't to respect a woman, right, you right. know? So like, how, right. And how do we help them talk about women? How do we make sure they don't objectify women? We need to right. have these conversations.
0: Exactly. And, and all of us, as and
1: we're all community leaders. We all have people that we have impact on, right? We all can be ambassadors. So when you hear a podcast like this and you bring this up, right? you bring this up. So have the conversation, even at your Shabbat table, even you know. Uh, you right. know, at the park, when you're hanging out with your other, the other moms or dads, Say, I listen to this interesting podcast. You know, I always think about, like, if all of us would walk away from these conversations and talk to three or four people, right, what kind of influence can we have? Right? What exactly. is the ripple effect? Um, and, I, you know, it's not only domestic violence. We think about substance abuse, about sexual assault. You know, if we're just willing, you know, the same thing about marriage, we're willing to just be real. Like, it's yeah. going to exist in every community. Let's just make it work. Talk popular. about it. Yeah. You, know, you know, it makes us better i don't i just wow
0: it makes us better i don't know thank you anna thank you you are so wonderful and god bless you and shalom task force and everything good that you're doing for the jewish community and all minority communities shalom task force is like a beacon of light for everyone guys how can people reach you
1: so our website's great we just redid it team come look at it it's a great reference um www.shelmtaskforce.org and i have to read the numbers because i get i always but it's um you call us either at 718-337-3700 or our call text whatsapp line is 888-883-2323 Eight 888 83
0: 2323
1: we are not 24 7 um if there's an emergency like that we can't you know we don't manage that our text lines open monday through thursday till midnight so we are open a lot of hours. We get back to people if they want to get back. We want to get back. Um, so it's call, text, chat, WhatsApp. It doesn't have to be an emergency. It Just be, if you want to just kind of talk it out with someone that will give you some perspective and listen, we're here, we're here for you.
0: Amazing, amazing. Thank, Thank you. 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 Me, this is Thank wonderful you. organization. <laughs> I really, really hope whoever's listening to this and if they see anything and they just want to talk about it, it doesn't have to be, Domestic abuse per se, but even just something that they find problematic in their relationship or something that they're unsure of and they're anxious about and they don't know who to talk to, they have Shalom Task Force as a resource. So thank you so much again.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Real thank pleasure being here. I'm happy this works. was
0: all mine. Thank God. Thanks again. No. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to Soul Sessions with KK. The goal of this podcast is to awaken your soul to different perspectives, perspectives that might be very, very different from yours. And I really, really admire the quote from Pierre K. Avot, Ethics of the Fathers that says, who is wise, the one who learns from others. That is the goal of this show, for us to learn from other people because that's what makes us wiser and better people. Anyway, it would mean the world to me if you can leave a review on my podcast. And also, if you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk. See you later.